This podcast is brought to you by our patrons. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. This is your beer, liquor, and other beverage news for the week of October 6th, 2018. Bud tries to be the king of more than beer. Lagunitas is laying off 12% of their workforce. Founders being sued for racial discrimination. And Prosecco is exploding, and not in a good way. All this and more on Have a Drink News. Welcome to Have a Drink News, the show where we, oh no, or where we cover Talk the about news, <laughs> popular news about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Fraser, and I'm Christopher Walker. Still, still no Casey. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say like, we put the question mark in the teleprompter. You know he'll read whatever's written <laughs> in front of him. I was confused. Well, still it's first dangerous. There too. All right, let's move on to the news. First up, Anheuser Busch has a is launching a new. Beyond Beer Venture. I don't know what's Beyond Beer. Whiskey? That's yeah, something I, I know imagine of. spirits, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we got this from Brewbound. They're saying another round of leadership changes is on tap at Anheuser-Busch. I see what they did there. Uh-huh. Uh, months after... Hmm? I said, ha ha ha. Oh, yes. Months after spl- uh, splitting its so-called high-end craft and import divisions into two separate business units and after it reorganized its north american sales marketing teams uh ab and bev announced today that philippe says spizgle spizgle i'm gonna go with that your guess is as good as mine bro uh he would leave his current post as craft beer uh craft business unit uh, president of the craft business unit for the newly created position within the company. Uh, in the press release, they said that he is uh, uh, he who is he who shall not be able to be pronounced his name uh, <laughs> has led the AB InBev's high end and craft business since October 20, uh, 2014. He is departing to launch a new drinks venture in the Beyond Beer space. So he's staying within AB InBev. He's just. Working another 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 part of the angle, I guess. We need a good echo for that, so you can go beyond. I'll try to add that in. in space. No, that, uh, that, that's just it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's uh, supplanting uh, Spiegel is uh, Marcelo Mika Michaels Michaels. Uh, the current vice president of sales overseeing region seven, which includes California, Nevada, and Arizona. Which region is Kentucky? I have no idea. I was hoping someone knew Hunger Games enough to <laughs> to oh. say what their districts were, because I don't. Yeah. I know that there are districts. I know one of them is Appalachia. But uh, anyway, the transition is expected to take place during the fourth quarter. Uh, Michaelis, who has been with uh, ABA for 16 years, will officially take over the president of the craft beer industry uh, the st- first of next year. Uh, he will relocate to New York in the coming weeks, the company added. Meanwhile, little is known about Spiegel's new endeavor, but AB, AB's own Beyond Beer division includes brands such as the non-alcoholic energy drink Highball, uh, which it acquired last year, and flavored malt beverage office- offering, offerings 
like spiked seltzer. Those do not sound like anything that I want. So no. That's the new no, hotness. So. Mm. Uh, speaking to Brewbound, a spokeswoman said that the new venture will be launched out of Miami, and uh, where uh, Spicegull resides part-time, uh, that more details will be shared in the coming months. Uh, see, During his four years as president of the high end, he helped engineer the purchase of nine craft brands, including uh, Virtue Cider from Michigan, Wicked Weed Brewing uh, from North Carolina, Car- Carabac Brewing from Texas, Devil's Backbone from Virginia, Four Peaks Brewing in Arizona, Breckenridge Brewery in Colorado, Golden Road, uh, Los Angeles, Elysian Brewing, Seattle, and Ten Barrel Brewing, Oregon. So basically, that whole stable. Yeah. So all of those actually, uh, especially for Breckenridge, I saw a fall off of advertising, especially mm-hmm. for Breckenridge. I saw more prominent placement and displays in stores, but hardly any actual advertising. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen. I haven't actually seen much in ads for for much of them, but so when's man, the last time you saw uh, adverti- any advertising for Wicked Weed ever? Yeah, I yeah, haven't. It sure. was all always word of mouth, and I have still never seen anything <laughs> that resembled a billboard or page advertisement or prominent shelf placement. Or <laughs> it just makes me sad because because uh, like, I was just like, man. I remember when I used to like Breckenridge. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, Spiegel also helped create AB InBev's Vera Sur Brewing, a Latin America-inspired craft bre- craft beer ba- brand uh, that opened in Miami's uh, Wynwood Arts District last August and was involved in the purchase of Spiked Seltzer. Uh, they're also talking about the other brands that are there, but th- you know this is kind of a big move. This is the dude who who spearheaded their, you know, basically their their craft competition plan for, you know, the last four years. I'm assuming they trust him since they're giving him another big, big uh, uh, project to work on. So, you know, I I like to imagine that ABM Bev is not necessarily looking for someone that can come up with their own stuff for them but they want someone who can recognize someone else and then buy their stuff yeah, yeah pretty much <laughs> that's how they roll now and well yeah, no they seems like this they said they're oh, done buying people so it's they, I mean... yeah yeah well i guess like they feel like they've bought enough and that the the they were probably pretty pretty early to see that yeah we're not going to keep getting returns on investment on some of this stuff we got to focus on what we've got yeah. so mm. uh but yeah this is fairly big news i guess you know and you know i know the new uh uh, you know not beer stuff is the new you know hot hot ticket right now but yeah it's so in the beverage space that's what you're seeing uh hard sparkling beverages or just sparkling beverages period are the big thing now and really, I mean, industry-wide, what everyone's getting ready to diversify in, and you're seeing a lot of this, is beverage companies are getting into uh, cannabis companies. Yeah. And that's uh, Constellation Brands are the first to do this, and their reports, like, they've already made a billion dollars off of their investment into the one company. And seeing this, you have a bunch of stories trickling in. Pepsi getting in the game, and you're, you're mm-hmm. going to see Coke getting in the game. And there's, I, I can't imagine there's any situation where ABM Bev is not currently 
like exploring avenues for oh, that and too. They have to be. I guarantee you they've already got reps out talking to companies, just mm. being like, hey, mm-hmm. we'll buy you out wholesale right now. Yeah. <laughs> big briefcase of money. Yeah. Big briefcase Give us money. a slightly smaller number. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's. There's there's a whole lot that can be that can be going on with this, I guess, and it's it's gonna be something that you know, <laughs> it'll help fill out our non-alcoholic section of our news show for some time. Oh, indeed it will. True, true. All right, but uh, speaking of ABMF, who ABMF, who let's say at the end of the article mentions that uh, last September they laid off upwards of 350 employees from the high end division. Yeah, uh, speaking of layoffs and speaking of uh, cannabis and beer, craft beer, Mm -hmm. Uh, Lagunitas Brewing Company said Tuesday that it would cut 12% of its workforce, citing, yeah, a retrenching of the American craft beer market. Man, the amount of retrenching going on right now. Yeah, a lot of the big companies that over expanded are feeling it and they've got to pull it back in and retighten that belt uh, the petaluma company which rode a surging wave of consumer interest in full flavored hoppy ales to become the largest beer maker in sonoma county how big of a thing is that they were the biggest the largest beer maker in sonoma county and it's like is that like not that's wine country so yeah <laughs> but they now find themselves in the growing list of brewers to uh brewers to contract as to contract as sales grows oh my gosh this is written terribly (laughs) so yeah they've slowed sales have slowed and they are now feeling this and with the increase in competition the workforce reduction will affect every department in the company so this is not just a bottom you know people on the production line or they're cutting the sales teams where you've seen a lot of these other companies come in and go, eh, we don't need all these salespeople anymore because we sold, you know, we've already sold out to whatever giant conglomerate, like like what he just did. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's going to affect everyone, which uh, operates a production plant in Chicago and tap room in Seattle. CEO uh, Maria Stipp said in a prepared statement, Lagunitas employees about nine employees about nine hundred people, and Petaluma will take the brunt of the more than a hundred layoffs. So not good, but that's very close to what stone did as well. They did around a hundred yeah. people if I remember correctly. And who else had layoffs recently? It was into um, the tune of a hundred. Oh geez. There's been a lot. Uh, I don't, yeah, I say, I don't recall, but we're seeing uh, like, most of them are right around a hundred, 120, something like that. So they're all in the same ballpark. Yeah. Uh, the, well, and they got, they got bought out by, uh, Heineken? Yes. Like what he just did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, all I can think of, like, yeah, no, they're going to have layoffs because unlike uh, some other people who overexpanded, they can't just start auctioning them off. Exactly. Uh, and there are oh. redundancies now, so the people with redundant jobs have to be eliminated. <laughs> that sounds like sounds they're going to get... a lot more like... intimidating. <laughs> yeah. uh, the craft beer market is rapidly evolving and in many ways more challenging. More breweries, more choices, very much uh, like the late 90s when the craft beer segment had a similar pressure. This is all from Stip. Uh, The decision to downsize comes 17 months after Dutch brewing giant Heineken International acquired full ownership of the homegrown eh, eh, brewery. 
uh, which has long been a supporter of local nonprofits through beer donations and fundraisers uh, at its Petaluma Tap Room. The layoffs were not wholly unexpected, given cutbacks at other craft brewers, with growth slowing in the estimated $26 billion a year U.S. craft sector. Sector had incredible growth in recent years, uh, with production rising as much as 20% annually. Uh, and as recently as 2014, they were seeing those kinds of numbers. I can remember just a couple years ago when they were seeing those kinds of numbers still. But in recent years, the increase uh, increases have been in a slow single... Or they've slowed to single digits. But it's still growth. I mean, it's not exploding yeah. 20%, 20% year over year, but it's still growing. It's not receding yet. Yeah. Look, as anyone in fireworks can tell you, you can only have the explosions go so long. <laughs> no, I want I want them to go forever. Uh, <laughs> want them still to be exploding. Yes, forever. I, s- I certainly wouldn't be surprised of uh, actions along these same lines for other companies going forward, said Tom McCormick, executive director of the California Craft Brewers Association. Well, duh. <laughs> yeah and then they bring up a uh, green flash brewing company of san diego mm-hmm. scaled back this spring yeah they really scaled black scaled back by uh having to sell yep uh closing a virginia brewery as it ran out of money in its bid to compete nationally earlier this month anheuser-busch imbev's craft beer division dismissed hundreds of employees yeah, that was the other one i was thinking of Oh, yeah, like we, the one we literally just mentioned before we led into this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Stip said... Sorry, in, I was thinking of specifically in craft. Oh, yeah. Stip said in her statement, it took almost seven years for Lagunitas to rebound from the late 90s downturn, and the company had to take difficult but necessary actions to ensure it could compete nationally as well as in the uh, burgeoning, burgeoning uh, global market for craft beer. As part of its turnaround, Stip said the company will take steps to drive our flagship IPA uh, together with Sierra Nevada Brewing Company of Chico and Stone Brewing Company of Escanado. Lagunitas IPA played a key role in making the Hoppia India Pale Ale the go-to beer for many craft beer consumers. In fact, Lagunitas IPA was one of the top-selling IPAs in, in restaurants and taproom businesses last year with uh, 8% growth, according to... That actually... I would say that, that makes sense to me, because the uh, uh, Lagunitas was the only IPA that they carried at uh, at the Red Lobster I used to work at. Yeah, hmm. that would be what you would see. Like, if you wanted a craft beer, a lot of times Lagunitas would probably be the only one, and that was because of whatever distributors they were getting hooked up with in certain areas. Mm-hmm. They were able to kind of squeeze their way in. Uh, that said, they popped up, I think... Uh, they must have already been in talks with Heineken or like the beginnings of that was happening because hmm. it wasn't too long after they showed up that they got, they got bought. Mm. Oh. So, mm. so yeah, uh, next to this article, I've got a couple statements from, uh, the founder and I mean, obviously, you know, you've got some things from him. He sold 50% of his stake to Heineken international, uh, three years ago in a deal valued at $1 billion. But, uh, some of his statements today was a rough day, uh, as were the last week of considerations. Ugh, yeah, that, I, imagine. <laughs> I, I, I honestly would not would not envy them in that situation because, you know, they're they're big, big enough to lay off you know twelve percent is a hundred employees, but you know, not 
not crazy. Yeah, I, I'm not saying he probably knew everyone's name, but there's probably people he he had met that he was going to have to say, uh, like, or maybe not him, but whoever was making the decision had to go. Yeah, they're going to have to go. Yeah. Hmm. You hate to so. see this kind of thing happen, but uh, that's just kind of what it comes down to. Uh, yeah, they close it out. Some statements. Personally, a heartbreaking, heartbreaking day, he wrote. I cannot express the importance of local and independent enough today. You sold your, like, <laughs> local yeah, that's, that's, and independent. That's adorable. <laughs> you sold to a giant international conglomerate. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe this is the day he's regretting that decision. Maybe that was awesome. something he put out, and then <laughs> later they went, um, you said independent, and he went, what? No, I... Oops. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that train is gone. On the Long train. sailed, and it can't go back to the, back I was to the station. Say, that train has sailed. I was going <laughs> to say that, and I was like, that's not right. No, <laughs> no, no, that's... <laughs> The train has sailed, and that ship can't pull back into the station. <laughs> right. <laughs> Our brain. No, that's how those sayings go. I don't know what you guys are talking yeah, about. I, I, no idea what you could be talking about. Hi. Well, I, speaking of non-independent places. <laughs> I, yeah, speaking of another non-independent craft. In more bad non, news. Non-craft, yeah. Uh, uh, still independent, not craft. Not craft. Really? Okay. Uh... Yeah, Founders, one of our, our kind of beloved <laughs> brands, is being sued for racial discrimination. Uh, this is an article from the Detroit Metro Times. Just days after Founders Brewing decided it's cool with supporters of state-sponsored homophobia, which is a different story, uh, it's been revealed that the Grand Rapids-based brewer is being sued in federal court over alleged racial discrimination. Okay, the other one, first of all, is... That uh, an employee got a hold of their Twitter account after um, mm. the Chamber of Commerce there in uh, Detroit yeah. decided they were going to back a specific uh, Trump candidate. And that employee got on the Twitter account and said that uh, because of this, Founders is going to be backing out of the Chamber of Commerce. Which and they... They had to say, no, we ain't doing that. Um, and then they, yes, it was like a couple hours later, they got, they're like, no, someone that was, someone just got on the account and posted that. And no, it's, it's dealt with. We're not, we're still in. Like, but, look, we're not happy about this decision, but the Chamber of Commerce actually has some benefits for them that they're not ready to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so a lawsuit filed in the U.S. District Court in Eastern District of Michigan, um, by Tracy Evans, a black former manager who worked at Founders Detroit and Grand Rapids locations, claims, quote, a racist internal corporate culture and multiple examples of blatant racism were exhibited by some white workers and managers during the nearly four years that she worked there. Uh, the suit alleges that Evans complained to Human Resources throughout. Oh, that's a him. Sorry, throughout okay. his employment. I was literally thinking, like, I read this whole thing and I, I thought it was a he, but man, no, you're right. I, I, well, it's one of those unisex names and it messes me up. No, um, totally fine. The suit alleges that Evans complained to Human Resources throughout his employment, but his complaints fell upon deaf ears. He claims he was fired as he prepared to make another formal complaint to HR. Uh, in a statement <laughs> to this newspaper, uh, Evans and his attorney Jack Schultz are asking for monetary damages to compensate for Evans' lost wages and treatment and to disrupt corporate culture. 
He told uh, Metro Times that while some app founders treated Evans like family, management didn't. Which is mm. kind of a big thing. Uh, yeah. At, at the end of the day, the evidence is clear. They wanted to keep the management white. They wanted their clientele to be white. And he was treated differently in the time when, uh, in the time when it mattered the most, when it affected his job. Uh, when he spoke up about his treatment, it only got worse. This is according to his lawyer. Um, so here we go into uh, the white guy and the black guy printers. Uh, yeah. Among other accusations leveled in the complaint, Evans said founders management allegedly named two printers, the white guy printer and the black guy printer. Management on the second floor used the white guy printer while general employees on the lower level used the black guy printer. Evans claimed he was passed over for promotion to two positions in favor of two white coworkers. He said he trained the two white employees and had never and had more seniority over them. The two employees had also been involved in what Schultz called terminable incidents just prior to the promotion. One mm. allegedly got drunk at a company party and crashed his car into a parked car. <laughs> while another got drunk and exposed his genitalia to the partygoers. Ooh. Yeah, that doesn't look good. No, uh, not no. at all. So Schultz noted that Evans left the Grand Rapids location in October 2017 for fresh beginnings uh, with the company at, at its then-soon-to-open Detroit Tap House in the Cass Corridor. So prior to moving, Evans was approached by a white co co-worker who asked, What's up with Detroit? My N-word. Uh, Evans reported the incident to HR, but the employees remained employed with the company. I, okay. So the way this is typed, they type N-I and they do dashes. I wonder if that's literally how he said it. What's up, my knee? And then realized the problem with what he was about to say. Either no, way. No, I think he said There's the no whole thing. Happened. But yeah. I, I, I would like to imagine that, that, that someone stopped and went, I am making a terrible decision. I should stop what I'm doing right now. Yeah, it's not a... One would hope, but it doesn't sound like that's the case for any of this. This isn't a Mel Brooks movie, so I think uh, he said the full thing, and he got a slap on the wrist for it, probably, if anything, yeah. from yeah, the company. So far, uh, evidence, according to this article, seems to be piling up against founders. Yeah. Um, so it, it kind of goes on more about... His, you know his his complaints to HR and how nothing really got done. Um, the a lot of derogatory terms and of course got the the printer thing, which is insane. Uh, <laughs> uh, of course, um, so in a statement to Metro Times, founders said allegations are completely false. It says uh, the complaint was filed several months ago, was roughly was thoroughly investigated by the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and was recently dismissed because it lacked any truth, says the statement from Founders. Um, uh, Schultz, there, uh, Schultz, so it, his attorney basically, said it's almost like they didn't even look at it, though. <laughs> uh, mm. Schultz said that he suspects Founders will ask for charges to be dismissed because a clause in pre-employment confidentiality agreement signed by Evans moved the statute of limitations from three years, as it's granted by federal law, to 180 days. Some of the incidents, like the promotions, occurred more than 180 days ago. Uh, but Schultz claimed Evans signed the agreement under duress because he had, um, 
he had to sign it in order to be employed and only had a minute to read it over. Didn't have an opportunity to have an attorney review it and never received a copy. Evans also changed positions and locations within the company multiple times since signing the agreement. Another clause in the pre-employment agreement mandates that any racial discrimination against founders be moved from federal court to an arbitrator, which is advantageous for founders. <laughs> well, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's up to it's just like all your end user license agreements. Yeah. You're supposed to read that and you should read your pre-employment agreements. Because if you see that stuff in there, you're like, I don't really agree with this. But it is legitimate that sometimes you just don't have time. Like, it's one of the thousands of things that you have to... They don't... You're, you're given to sign, and then they just take it back. Well, it's not like they're like, okay, you need to sign this now. You don't have time to read it now, and then we're going to yank it away. They gave it to him, and he had to... He, oh, let me read this. Yeah. They never just... Com they never not don't give you the time to read it. Like, oh, there's this is just a bunch of legal... No, no, just sign, just sign. No one ever does that. Yeah, no, I, I know, and it, but it's like, okay, I, I, I can't even, like, say, oh, well, he should have done this, because it does not sound good for founders in any of this. Mm, no, not really. It sounds like I a mean, company fairness, that was... He, him and the lawyer do have, I'm not saying he's, he's, what he's saying isn't true. I'm just saying, like, they are trying to make sure that, you know, you see the worst of it. That's not saying that the worst of it did not happen, because... I would, I would guess that it most likely did. Because these are uh, very specific examples that I, I feel like, yeah. like you, it'd be weird yeah. to make that stuff. I'm up. just thinking of like how how founders is going to try to deal with that in whatever legal proceedings that are going to happen. Yeah. And you know, that's just. Ugh. Yeah, it just it makes it, me sad, especially because I'm like, I really like founders beer. I but, yeah. Are the actions know. are the actions of executives in the company going to make you second guess drinking their beer, hmm. or a cor corporate culture that you don't agree with going <laughs> to? That's always. Tricky. I mean, I mean, yeah. Like, we'll have to see. Like, <laughs> to see how everything shakes out. I mean, may, may, maybe, maybe they end up changing all their policies later, and everything's fine and happy, and I can I can sleep easy at night. But you know. We'll have to wait and see. It could also be, I mean, there's only, there's only one person coming forward with these claims. And he's saying that their entire corporate culture is structured as such. And it I could mean, just be, he's had a, you know, rough deal with this company, which happens with some people. Some people are just not a match with a company and it feels like, you know, everything, corporate culture there is reversed to them. So everything can come off this way. I mean, possibly. I mean, like I said, it's, it's hard to, Hard to say. Well, and uh, him having a personally bad experience is one thing, but to to allow other coworkers to do to for these racist comments and uh, you know that the printer thing is awfully specific for it to have been just made up. Uh, well, I'm not saying it was made up. I'm just saying. No, like, no. I, I'm just saying like stuff like that should not be allowed. Oh no, it shouldn't. And those are the kinds of things that are still slowly working their way out. Of yeah. these kinds of businesses, but with but, craft beer, you do like you see a big leniency on the drinking at you know like corporate functions and things, which would lead to some of those guys 
misbehaving in the ways that they did. Yeah, but at yeah. the same time, like, again, things like that shouldn't be tolerated, especially when they get the promotion and someone else who didn't do any of that crazy shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that, I, I, I just, the whole thing just kind of bothers me. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Right. I don't know. Well, you know, you know what probably else would have been uncomfortable? To be, uh, to be near the Prosecco vat in this next story. Oh, yeah. Like the, the guy uh, with the video that we should add on if we could. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. We're... Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have to see how this, how this wants to work. Right. Anyway, a uh, Ven- Veneto winery lost roughly 30,000 liters of Prosecco last week after an apparent failure with one of its pressurized fermentation tanks. An apparent failure. I Yeah. I, I call it that. You can watch the video and see see wine literally shooting out of the out of the top of the fermenter. It's like a giant it's like a can being crushed and it's just liquid spewing. Okay, I'm gonna try to get this in here and if everything explodes it's whatever. Uh let's see. Well, the cause of the massive Prosecco fountain has not been confirmed, uh, the drinks business says, uh, but it could be the fault of the ta- in the tank or the tank simply being overfilled. Uh, the loss equates to some 40,000 bottles of fizz. Thankfully, the region enjoyed a bountiful harvest this year, well, at least somewhere it did, yes. and they expect to make 50 million bottle increase in production compared to last year. Whew. So, So production's still up despite this loss. Yeah. Okay. Just picturing like, it being due to overfilling. If anybody is watching the video or wants to go back and see this, it's I've got it on the stream now. It's kind of nuts. It's just, yeah, it's a giant it, There's fountain. like a river of Prosecco. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty nuts. It's, 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 it's honestly amazing to see. Uh, you can find the article on VinePair, too, if, you, if you're having issues or you're listening to this after the fact. Go look this thing up. It's... It's it's just impressive it's, to a certain extent. It's kind of on the level with uh, those historical events where like a beer vat exploded and they're like, oh, it flooded the town and 12 <laughs> people drowned yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Pigs like, flying in the tree. Yeah, yeah it, this is kind of like on that level, but someone recorded it. <laughs> yeah. Like it, video evidence. Just like the, you know, well, it's the thing that, you know, today, anything happens, they can immediately just go, oh, let's just record that. But, oh, my God. Uh, can you imagine the just smell? picturing someone being underneath it going ah, ah. <laughs> no. well the question is uh was it hot had it just like <laughs> oh yeah could it be, like, could you acid? have been scalded <laughs> yeah or could it have uh yeah i don't it depends on which stage this was at so yeah Ooh. <laughs> oh i'm not really right. into prosecco so like i wouldn't know that i would be that excited but it's still it'd be interesting to see in person well, you know what kind of places you'd be drinking a lot of Prosecco? Cruise ships. Uh, mm. But you know what cruise ships... I was going to say, uh, wow, wow raids, but... No. Uh, you know uh, what cruise ships are switching to now? Uh, Craft beer! <gasps> Carnival Cruise Line uh, wants to deliver good beer and fun experiences to its passengers. That's where the brewmaster comes in. Like a a guy who tells you all about the beer you can get on, on the tour, and, on the the cruise, and and brews on the cruise 
It's a bruise cruise. Get it? Get nah. it. Uh, bruise cruise, <laughs> bruise cruise. <laughs> Colin Presby uh, remembers a carnival cruise he took when he was 21 and just getting into craft beer. I remember, I remember it being, no, I remember it being kind of frustrating as a beer drinker uh, because you get on the ship. You go to the nightclub, uh, and there's Heineken, Corona, Bud Light, and that's about it, he said. In the last 10 years, we've really come a long way in terms of selection, uh, in terms of education, in terms of bringing beer on ships up close to where it's on land. Uh, these days, Presby's job is to make Carnival a destination for craft beer fans like him, as well as a place for dedicated Corona drinkers to discover a little something new. As the brewmaster for Carnival Cruise Line, the 34-year-old... Oh, that, that makes me stop and go, what are you doing? What am I doing with my life? I don't... What am, what, what am I doing with your life? <laughs> the 34-year-old makes beer, talks about beer, gives uh, brewery tours, and spends a lot of time cleaning equipment aboard the 3,960-passenger Carnival Horizon, where he lives for several months at a time. He oversees two other brewers, uh, one of whom is stationed on Carnival Vista, a sister ship that Presby sailed on previously. The vessels, which launched in 2016 and earlier this year, are the only ones in North America with breweries on board. Hmm. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, they buried the lead here. Yeah. So Because uh, there are cruise ships with breweries on board. Two cruise ships from Carnival already have breweries on board and have since 2016. Why didn't we know this, and why haven't we gone on these these cruises? I, well, because cruises are really expensive. And and why didn't Casey go on any of these cruises? That's right? a better question. Yeah. Uh, he was even he went on a Carnival cruise, didn't he? Uh, I don't know. I think his was Carnival. Carnival introduced its first brew pub uh, with a dual goal. Offer guests uh, the great experience on the ship and deliver quality beers, uh, said, Edward, said Edward Allen, Vice President of Beverage Operations for the Cruise Line. Another line in the Carnival corporate fleet, uh, Germany's AIDA Cruises, had uh, first put a brewery on a ship several years earlier, but no North American line had one until Carnival, unlike the German operator, which worked with a land-based brewery, Carnival wanted to use its own recipes. Ooh, I, I don't like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm more worried about, like, man, keeping it under control on a cruise seems like that's... Yeah, tricky. so brewing operations are kind of difficult and very, you know, it's chemistry. And now you're putting yeah. that on a giant boat out at sea when I have a feeling uh, all the salt water hanging around and salt in the air is generally going to make things difficult unless you're just brewing ghosts. <laughs> mm. uh, we wanted to make don't, hmm? don't do the caramel vodka; it ruins. It. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted. Okay. We wanted to make sure we were brewing unique beers to Carnival. Alan said, and when it comes to the face of the endeavor, the list of must-haves was long. We were looking to find someone who would be exciting, who would be engaging, who would who would really own the brewery and make it their own. Uh, the candidate needed a strong background in brewing and chemistry, one would hope, a solid work ethic, and an understanding of ship life. 
Uh, Colin brings a passion not only for brewing, but uh, for teaching and explaining beer and working with our guests that is hard to find. Uh, Presby, who lives in Pennsylvania when not on a ship, has been brewing professionally for more than eight years. A chemistry professor introduced him to home brewing his senior year. He was heard, uh, he was head brewer at a small brew pub in Kutztown, Pennsylvania, uh, when he came across Carnival's ad on probrewer.com, an industry site. He talked about, uh, it talked about make a great beer and travel the world. <laughs> Was he joining the army back in World War Two, or? Oh man, could you just imagine, like, you know, the army's like, we need you to brew. <laughs> yeah, Uncle Sam pointing the finger. Uncle Sam Calgione, huh? 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 No one. Okay, fine. <laughs> uh, he started with you. He started the job in March 2016 when Carnival Visto was still in, uh, still an Italian shipyard. The company had names of beers and flavor profiles in mind, and it was Presby's job to work out the recipes. For the next ship, uh, he got more freedom to choose what to brew. Presby's operations on Carnival Horizon is housed in Guy's Pig and Anchor Barbecue Smokehouse slash Brewhouse. Yeah. And it's that guy, Guy Fieri. Yeah. <sighs> Uh, you know what? I don't want this beer now. At what cost? Did, did, is it just like, is there a donkey sauce beer? I mean, is, the, uh, is there one that, that did he make? Uh, is the blonde, is the blonde ale just, is it called uh, Frosted Tips? I was going to say, like, it's not a blonde, it's, <laughs> they have a beer cocktail where they, uh, they pour little, little bits of a, a, a of a blonde ale or a, a lager on top of uh, something darker and get a Frosted Tips. So, yeah, uh, the article goes on to talk about how there are a lot of uh, similar kinds of offerings you'll find on some cruises, but no one with actual breweries. And that is, again, uh, where I, I think you're right. They buried the lead on this one because this was all about – It was they're just this, talking about the dude. guy, and it's like, no, wait, 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 back it up. Why are you not advertising harder that you have two cruise ships with breweries on them? <laughs> I mean, if you know, if and one of if one of them's not on Guy Fieri's ship, then that's going to be a lot better. <laughs> exactly. I would rather not have diarrhea on a cruise <laughs> ship for that long. Hey, the, the, <laughs> they did review the his new restaurant at Disney Springs and Disney World, and it's supposed to be really good. So, meh. It's just it's just chicken fingers. As the sauce is more than anything. <sighs> well, still, like that's more of a. All I can think of now is, is if Casey needed more of a reason to want to go on a cruise. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, no. why don't we uh, upscale this a little bit? I'm saying now for something completely different. Uh, the uh, Holy Grail of Whiskey sells for oh, a record is, uh, amount. Is Guy Fieri involved in this one? A new donkey sauce no. scotch. No, no, no. Oh, oh, can you imagine? Oh. Oh. They, they, they took... Uh, they took second-use bourbon barrels, coated the inside with donkey sauce. And chicken. You're a monster. <laughs> yeah, just, just stop talking. And they just threw whole fried chicken legs into the barrel. Just stop talking. Uh. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this is not that, thankfully. Um, this and this also this. I forget that this is a thing, but this story is from the History Channel. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, they mm. do news things. That's okay. Uh, also, this is the best picture. This is clearly, uh, you know, 
was it Teddy Roosevelt or whatever? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like holding this bottle of with a monocle. It's not. It's it's not Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> it's just a dude with a handlebar mustache and monocle. No, I know, but I'm trying to. I'm picturing his character from uh, Night at the Museum, and I'm like, okay, no, good job. Uh, anyway, so as a, a private buyer paid a record high $1.1 million for a 750 milliliter bottle of single malt whiskey at an auction in Edinburgh. 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 <laughs> Edinburgh. With a standard pour around one and a half ounces, that means each drink of the stuff would tally up to just over $63,000. Oh. <laughs> Uh, known as the Holy Grail of Whiskey, it was aged for 60 years before being bottled in 1986 by the popular Scottish distillery, Macallan. We had, we had to look that up. <laughs> I'll still put a uh, different emphasis on it. Because I, I feel like uh, the Scottish would... Macallan. Yeah, I just can't do that. That's just, I mean, it's not going to happen very well. Uh, so they had commissioned the leading pop artist Valerio Adami of Italy to design a label for the bottle. Uh, whiskey, also commonly spelled whiskey with an E-Y. Only is if the, you're in Ireland. Yeah. Uh, is the category of spirits that includes scotch and bourbon, as well as Irish, Canadian, Japanese, and American whiskeys. While bourbon can now come from outside of its birthplace of Bourbon County, allegedly, uh, true scotch can only be made in Scotland. So, real quick to that, pretty much no bourbon is made in Bourbon County. Yeah. I mean, mm, it's just Kentucky. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, there is... I don't think there are any modern distilleries, uh, legal distilleries, in Bourbon County. <laughs> there you go. I was yeah. going to say, careful. True. Yeah. Um, so, it's got this whole thing on, on the history of Scotch, essentially, which we've covered on the show, if you want to look into that, by the way. Um, but uh, it says that today's Scotch is sold more than 200 countries... As of 2012, it represented nearly 4% of the Scottish economy. Jesus. Including about a quarter of the country's exports, as well as a quarter of the food and drink exports for the entire United Kingdom. So, uh, just to put in perspective, in... When was I in Scotland? When was that? That was 20... It was, it was a good minute ago. 2012? 20 years ago. 2012, I think. In Edinburgh, they have um, the Scotch Whiskey Experience. Which is glorious. The gift shop is this two-storied mega room where they have pretty much every scotch on the market. And some that are only, like, there's only one bottle available and it's there. Doesn't matter, like, the prices are what you would think. Like, just absolutely insane. But they have what equates to a Ripley's Believe It or Not of (laughs) scotch is what this place is. It is just a playland of ridiculous scotch things. Jeez. Uh, yeah, so it said the, the growing demand for premium aged scotch has fueled the practice of selling old, rare bottles at auction, resulting in the ever escalating prices that reached a high with the $1.1 million sale in Edinburgh. Only 24 bottles were produced, and no one knows how many of the original 24 bottles survive. One of them is thought to have been lost in the earthquake that hit Japan in 2011, while it's believed another one has been opened and drunk. <laughs> Uh, Bonham's, As it should be. Well, yeah. Bonhams, uh, I'm probably saying that wrong, in Hong Kong, sold another of the Adami bottles earlier this year for around $1.06 million, uh, settling, or setting the previous record. This time, the winning bid was £700,000, or around $900,000, plus a scaled premium of £148,000, 
British sterling, uh, bringing the total cost to just over 1.1 million. Again, this uh, this auction house for rare liquors, being in an airport. Yeah. Mm, yeah. The ultimate duty free shop. And it's at this same shop, or I think twice already this year, McCollin has uh, set the record. At uh, least yeah. sounds like it should be like a, you know, it's. <laughs> you have to take your own private jet to get in there. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, McCollin. So, yeah. Uh, uh, Lord. I want to try their scotch. Like we've had so many stories on them. I don't think I've ever had any. No, we we should get a couple bottles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's only one point one million well, not dollars. That <laughs> not that. <laughs> Even their other bottles are pretty expensive. Hmm. All right. Well, that actually does it for the news today. Yeah. A uh, little. We tried to get some well-rounded stuff in there. So yay. Um, but we'd like to remind everyone that this is our news-only show. And uh, we do a weekly long-form show discussing the science and history around what you drink. If you like what you hear and you want to support Have a Drink Show, please go to patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. And then uh, we will see you live again next Saturday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. Once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. And since Casey's still gone, I'm still Christopher Walker. <laughs> see you next time, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>